Activism isn't about being loud, it's about making a meaningful change. I'm a catalyst for change. Catalyst for change. I saw what was happening to our planet and the injustice of climate change. I was like, wow, I'm an activist at heart. Combining art and activism to inspire change. I had to find my place in activism as a young black woman. I realized you're never too small to take action. Youth have ideas for what a climate resilient future looks like. Protecting the environment isn't a wise people's thing. It's something for everyone. I wanted to learn about how inequality, poverty and gender intersect. Intersectional feminism is important to discuss. Now people are joining me and we're making change. I had to learn to trust my abilities and understand that my voice mattered. I proved to myself what I could do. Change needs to start with you and me. Youth are leading. Welcome to You Tell All, a homegrown South African podcast sharing stories of young people taking action to create a more sustainable, inclusive, and equitable future for all. My name is Tembi Matebula. I'm a writer, environmental activist, and a first-year student at Ritz University in Johannesburg. In today's episode, we'll be hearing a story from Hatliso Miataza. Hatliso is a 18 years old, comes from Soweto, and is currently in high school in Haniju. She describes herself as an intersectional activist focused on gender and climate policy, and is particularly interested in grassroots capacity building. This is Hatliso for the You Tell All podcast. As a black girl growing up in predominantly white areas, going to racially integrated schools, I was used to the feeling and the fear of being undermined. You know, being undermined in class when you're speaking about something as, sim- as simple as the timetable or putting your hand up in maths. You know, as a black girl, it was normal. This infiltrated into my climate advocacy. It was partly because media representation of climate advocacy was the edgy and cool middle class white girl and boy. And you know, I will recognize my privilege. I am a middle class person, but I'm black and I'm female. I was obviously not a fit for this mold. It was also because I was visibly more undermined and questioned about my opinions and my research when speaking about tokenism and the lack of intersectionality in the climate justice movement. When I spoke, no one's head would turn around to look at me or listen to what I had to say. Even then, when they did, I would stutter because I'd be startled at like, oh wow, people are listening to me. Whether I started or I spoke boldly, I was met with questions that passively alluded to the fact that what was coming out of my mouth was absolute rubbish, like the one that pollutes our seas. My approved lane of activism is pan-Africanism and feminism, according to media, because again, I'm black and I'm female. However, in its nuances, climate justice accommodates my feminism and my pan-Africanism. To say that climate justice does not include feminism and that it does not include my identity as an African and as a black person would mean that climate justice is an elite area of activism, and it's not. So I'll just tell you an experience I had. I remember excitedly telling one of my teachers that I would be speaking at COP26. I worked hard for this opportunity. After working with the South African Institute of International Affairs and the University of Leeds on a film called The Youth Are Leading, I was asked to speak about the process of making this film. 
I made this film, I made a part of this film by um, taking different snippets of like someone speaking about the drought in South Africa. I took a video of people speaking about the fire on Mount Kilimanjaro. I spoke about how the drought personally affected me as someone who was a child of someone who was unemployed. And you know, because of drought, prices go up. And my mom was a single mother. And she couldn't really afford for climate change to be making prices of food go up when her child is, you know, very particular about the yogurt she wants. <laughs> I enthusiastically explained this to my teacher. His immediate response was to question my knowledge and experience with climate activism. Mind you, at that point, I had been a co-drafter for the city of Joburg's Youth Climate Action Plan. I had edited a static climate document. I had been featured in an article with the University of Leeds about climate activism in South Africa. I had hosted a UN fundraising event about climate disasters. There were so many things under my belt. I drafted a, a 34-page research paper with Munira Katongole, who is, mwah, I love her so much. And it was, it won number one at the um, YRS. And, you know, there were just so many things that happened to me. And he stood there in the middle of my school study hub, huffing and puffing about how I was unqualified and undeserving because I lacked experience in climate advocacy. He also alluded to the notion that I may have been used as a token, which, okay, you know, it might be true, but I still deserve to be there. I still deserve to be in front of that Zoom screen speaking about how I had contributed to a film with the University of Leeds. I marvel at how his immediate reaction was to question instead of congratulate. I shrink thinking about the students witnessing and walking past this Belgian man t turning red at the idea of me speaking at COP26. When I set to open that Zoom room on that Monday, I even got the wrong Zoom code and in my head I cried and I was like, ah! The universe is telling me that, you know, this is not supposed to happen. Khalito, you're not supposed to be here. Just call it quits. And then by the grace of Didebucho, I got the right Zoom call. And the universe was like, yeah, you're meant to be here. And yeah, and it was like, you're meant to be here. However, I did not celebrate this significant opportunity because of my teacher's words. I felt like it was something that was meant to be hidden, that I had to feel guilty for because I was taking someone else's space. Through the help of my mother and my best friend, Rehana, I moved through and passed that encounter. Moving past the feeling of being an infiltrator was and still is very difficult. At a point, advocacy, whether feminist advocacy, pan-African advocacy or climate advocacy, you know, at a point it felt very laborious. I felt indebted to my service for climate justice, not because I was passionate about it anymore, but just because... Uh, this is something Khatis was expected to do. I no longer worked ardently to complete my projects. I was tired, but I was addicted to feeding my imposter syndrome through little projects of instant gratification. For my advocacy to be healthy and sustainable, I needed to process my disappointment, my imposter syndrome, and challenging projects by speaking to people who I knew about how I felt. The feelings of sadness or disappointment you know, they weren't detached from my personal life and they, they started to affect my personal life and my mental health. I kept my COP26 participation hidden because I didn't want people to reverberate what that teacher had said. It was becoming a bit much, but luckily through my therapist's words, 
I learned to set boundaries for myself and I learned to set borders, like country borders. And you know that country borders are very arbitrary and very stupid, but they work according to the context, like our borders, you know, as Africa. And so that's how I set my boundaries for my activism. I know that because my mental health is not really great now, I can only work to that certain limit and I can only work until the end of that border. But I know that as I grow and as I learn, my borders and my boundaries would change because I don't want to go back to that dark place where I was just working for instant gratification and not for ardor and for passion. This is the understanding I have adapted for my advocacy journey. My boundaries and borders will be adapted to the context, my mental health, my priorities, and my energy. How could I live up to the points stipulated in the Youth Climate Action Plan I co-drafted and the SADC policy I edited if I cannot live up to the bare minimum of taking care of myself? Even with these boundaries established, the thought that I am underqualified for the seats of the tables that I occupy impairs me. Every time I sit down to log into a Zoom meeting with my climate justice peers, a clot forms in my chest, my jaw clenches, my body quivers in anticipation of how undeserving I might look in comparison to others. When the opportunity of this recording came, I was excited, I was elated, I was enthused, you know? But as the days, the hours and the minutes drew closer, so did my imposter syndrome. My imposter syndrome is not as bad as it used to be, but it's still there, and I'm still here. Yeah. Hatiso, yeah. thank you so much for sharing such a deeply personal and sensitive story. I think a lot of people can relate to your experiences, and you raise such important issues about mental health. I'm curious about a few things. You explained that you had a difficult time feeling accepted because you didn't fit the stereotypical image that the media portrays of climate activists. How did you overcome this and stay committed in this space? First and foremost, I'm so used to being discriminated against. And so if I ran away from every space where I didn't feel welcome, I don't think that I would be the Khalisa Miyataza that I am right now. And even when I think about who I am as a black girl, I think the most powerful quote I've ever heard was from Zosie Bini Tunzi when she said, you know, we as black women or we as women need to learn how to cement ourselves. And I think within the climate arena and within the gender and racial arena, like in terms of activism, I've learned to cement myself because I know that I deserve to exist in those spaces. I know that I am South African and I have a story to tell. And that story matters no matter what I look like, no matter what my gender or my class is. Yeah. I felt like you did that perfectly. It takes a strong person to stand on their ground. This takes me to, during your story, you speak about this idea of having imposter syndrome. I think this is something that everyone, especially young people, have experienced, and it really can be overwhelming. What advice can you give to other young people feeling this way? How do you overcome this feeling to both protect your own mental health and to continue being effective in your activism? I think the most important thing is to seek help because we as humans like to feel like we're alone when we're facing problems. And the reality is that we have people who relate to us. And so I spoke to my teachers. I spoke to my therapist about this imposter syndrome and where it was rooting from. Firstly, as much as I've depicted myself as this strong person, I also have feelings and I also feel like, okay, now I'm in this space and I don't know what to do. I don't know if I'm perfect or if I'm saying the right thing or if I'm saying the wrong thing. And I'm thinking this right now. But I think speaking to all the people who have more experience in the arena, like really helps me understand 
where I am and like where I can grow. One teacher told me that um, when something goes beyond the point of growth, it dies. So one thing that helped me overcome my imposter syndrome was understanding that I'm going to make mistakes along the way. And it's inevitable that I make mistakes because that's the only way that I'm going to grow. And that's the only way that I would be able to keep my passion for activism alive. Oh, wow. Meaning no matter how strong you are, you mm. still have a space to be vulnerable and yeah. seek for help, right? Yeah, but also to to understand that you can seek help from yourself and to build your confidence from within. Despite these feelings of imposter syndrome, you've done an incredible amount of things and you're only 18. What do you want to do next? And what are some of the things that you want to focus on? So firstly, right now, my student enterprise and NGO at my school is drafting a policy about the different issues that we as African students face within South Africa and within our own countries. And as a part of this policy, I'm collaborating with some people that were on the YCAP, the Youth Climate Action Plan that I worked with Susiso and other people on. Um, and then I'm also collaborating with other people that are in the SIA YPCs, which are the Youth Policy Committees. So that's the first thing. And I'm really, really excited about that. And then secondly, I'm going to Boston, Massachusetts for university. I'm going to Wellesley College and I'm cross-registering at MIT. I am going to study cognitive linguistics and Spanish. And I'm also thinking of doing African studies. So for me, that's exciting because I like to um, see how new avenues can tie to my climate justice and gender justice activism. And then thirdly, I'm just really open to sitting and learning from other people. I think that I've been speaking for a long time and I've been so vociferous in my journey. I think that this is, I'm taking my time to understand and to learn from other people because I did say, or you did introduce me as someone that is at the grassroots level. And to stay at the grassroots level, you need to understand what people are going through outside of you and outside of that activism because we tend to politicize everything and forget that everything that is political is personal. So that's where I'm, I just look forward to learning from so many people. And yeah. You go, girl. I know the world is not ready for you. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, they're not ready. They better they better get ready. Hachisa, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today and for being so open and honest about your experiences. Please continue to look after your mental health and we need people like you to continue making this enormous contribution. Thank you. That's all we have time for today, friends. Join us next time to hear more stories of youth making change in their communities. The Youth Tell All podcast is a production from Youth at SIA, the youth programs at the South African Institute for International Affairs. Youth at SIA is focused on giving a voice to young Africans to tackle the major issues that confront them while building capacity to engage with policymakers at national, regional and international levels. Youth at SIA empowers youth with the skills to become the continent's leaders with a commitment to co-creation and collaboration, inclusivity, decolonization, social justice and intersectionality. Our broader thematic areas cover climate change, gender, education, employment, and sustainable and regenerative futures. This series has been made possible with the financial support of the European Union's Partnership Instrument and the German Federal Ministry for the Environment, Nature Conservation and Nuclear Safety through the International Climate Initiative. The opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of the funders. This episode was produced by Kiara Wirth and Desiree Koshuluk in collaboration with Solid Gold Podcast Studios. The Youth at SIA leadership team includes Desiree Koshuluk, Didebo Libia, Lucille Nayadu, and Idumeleng Mpure. 
Story development has been done by Kiara Wirth. If you have a story to share or want to learn more about our podcast, our programs, or how to get involved in youth activism, head over to our website, saya.org.za slash youth. That's S-A-I-I-A dot org dot Z-A slash youth. Youth at Saya is across social media sites too. So find us wherever you are. Thanks for listening. And until next time, remember, youth are leading.